Hello and welcome to episode 4.5 of SourceCast. I'm JD. And I'm Jeremy. And this episode, it's a .5 episode similar to what we did with episode Pi a couple of weeks ago. And in this episode, we're just going to be talking about, um, well, Jeremy tried Vista for the first time, so we're going to be doing an unofficial review of Vista. We're going to be tackling some viewer feedback and discussing Linux standards. First up, viewer feedback. We got an email into our email, jd at sourcecast.org and jeremy at sourcecast.org. Uh, could you explain the Gmail Equifax certificate thingy, which nearly caused an unanticipated soiling during my configuration of evolution on Debian testing? What exactly does Gmail have to do with Equifax? Signed, Havel, Havel. I'm sorry, that looks like Polish or something. Well, what Gmail has to do with Equifax is, as I think anyone who set up Gmail in the third-party client knows, it uses SSL. And they choose, not that there's much of a choice since there's only about two of them, they choose to get their SSL certificate from Equifax. By default, um, what did you say you were using? Evolution should realize that Equifax is a certified place to get an SSL certificate from and just let it pass on by. But apparently they don't do that. They don't have a list of um, certificate authority places in there. So it bugs you and asks, you know, is this an okay certificate? Pretty much, if it's a site you trust, like Gmail, there's a pretty good chance you're safe just saying okay. If it's like, you know, shop at joescomputerstore.com where you're putting in your credit card information and you've never heard of them and they have a, you know, bad SSL certificate, then it's time to start worrying a little bit. But for Gmail... And evolution, it's no big deal. Uh, our next, it's not an email, it's actually a comment that we got posted to Sourcecast episode 4 from Chris Bumgardner. said, I like your podcast, but why is it that you trash everything that you review? I mean, you two simply burned foresight at the stake. Yeah, yeah, we did. We kind of did. You are right to do so if it is really that bad, but how about a change of pace? Could you review something that you actually like? I am all for giving honest feedback in the hopes that things will improve, but if a Windows user were to listen to your podcast, they would conclude that Linux must suck because you only say bad things about it. Um, you want to go first on this one, Jeremy? Um, sure, I'll read the exact response I gave to him, and that is uh, some of our criteria are very tough to be good at at the same time. For example, Gen 2, incredible for power users and servers. Granny will never, ever figure out how to install it. The the If Granny can install Arch, she's not going to be able to install Gen 2. That's not <laughs> happening. And uh, the reverse is true of Ubuntu. Um, and this is why there are so many distributions of Linux to begin with. Um, a lot of them are purpose-built and highly targeted. And, you know, some of them work given what they're designed for. 
Um, and I think we've gushed a fair amount over the uh, Ubuntu's upsides, uh, like hardware support in their community, and Arch's good side, like PKG builds and community in their website and so on. Um, it's yeah. just that it's very hard to get straight tens across the board, given the just number of things that we're grading on. It's very hard to be good at all those things at the same time. And yeah. let's face it, for some of the more obscure distros we're looking at, they simply don't have the manpower to accomplish some of these things. And, you know, I don't hold it against them that much, but it's not like they're not trying to become the next Ubuntu. Right. I mean, you know, everyone has to remember, you know, Ubuntu is almost four years old now, and, you know, they're really not doing any upstream work that much. And, you know, like, they're packaging GNOME 2.24 when only GNOME 2.22 is in Debian, but they get to do a lot of, you know, making things easier work. They don't have to concentrate on packaging everything. So, uh, And really, the reason we bag on so many distros is because, as Jeremy mentioned, there is no one perfect distro for everyone. Like, you know, I like Ubuntu, sure, and I use it sometimes when I'm feeling lazier, when I need to get a full GUI in about 20 minutes. But I just, I just, I don't want to run it as my desktop OS, and it will fail our criteria because it's not aimed at advanced users. And the distros that we've epically ripped a new asshole, which is mainly um, OpenSUSE and Foresight, we're not judging them just because, you know, oh, it's Foresight. We're judging them fairly. And if, you know, Foresight took Apt and implemented their transactional stuff on top of Apt, I would be more than happy to you know, forgive everything that sucked about their package manager because pretty much nothing would suck about it. Yeah, we're harsh, but at the same time, we're we're fairly straightforward and honest. Uh, I think I said that if SUSE just got rid of their software manager, just threw it out the window, and replaced it with deb files and apt get, it would be it would be heavenly. It would be incredible. It would be what Ubuntu strives to be i that would be the closest distro we we have reviewed to this point in terms of getting straight tens across the board it would have probably averaged if it, if if OpenSUSE had apt-get instead of their existing software manager i imagine i would have given it a total average of probably north of eight eight and a half and i think our highest right now is arch around seven and a half yeah i think so i think so and also, uh, Chris, I don't know, you may listen to other podcasts like Linux Action Show or Log Radio or distros like that where they basically are like, you know, the distro did this, 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 and this well, but I had a couple little issues and, you know, like if the thing seg faults on boot, they call that a little issue. I call that... A pretty big fucking issue. Your shipment of fail has arrived. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things... 
at least me personally, both in real life and in this show, I try not to beat around the bush and say, you know, like, oh, it's a good distro if they just, you know, tried a little bit hot. No, the distro sucks, you know, change shit, or it's going to keep sucking. And despite the fact that we really ripped Foresight, uh, Foresight a new asshole, we had the community manager for Foresight and a former developer for Foresight post on our forums and basically say, hey, we agree with you guys on most of what you said. Um, and the community manager said, hey, we'll take this to, into consideration and work to make it better. And that's what we really want to get out of this. Yeah, that that is honestly, I completely agree there. That is the best thing that we want to get out of this. Now you know by listening to this podcast what kind of sucks about your distro, and you can improve it. And yeah, and it's not like we're going to be. I mean, we're very we're very honest, we're very fair, but it's not like we're going to be nice. We're not going to go put these on some five-year-old ThinkPads or some Dells that originally shipped with Ubuntu. We're going to put it on some evil-ass hardware and see what it's got. Yeah, I mean, you know, even if we were to review, review my current distro of choice, Debian, I wouldn't be able to give it, like, you know... Top, t- I wouldn't be able to give it, you know, tens on everything. Hell, it it would probably score within maybe half a point of Arch Linux, you know, and, and it's it's one of those things of like there is no perfect distro. It's more or less, you know, if you're a new user, go with whatever distro we give the highest, you know, like granny rating. And software selection too. If you're a power user, go with the distro we give, you know, the highest power user, software selection, and, you know, I can't think of the, a third criteria that would be good, but. Performance. Whatever that third, performance, sure. You know. It's, it's more or less, yes, we hate on everything, but. Yeah, we, we, yeah. Well, we're, we we hate on everything, but if it's good, you know, we will we will speak of it as such. I gushed a fair amount over Sousa before I ripped it a new asshole for the software manager. Like I said, if they would just use AppKit and Debian, I would have a hard on for Sousa. It would be that good. Yeah. I mean, hell, even you know, like I said, even our distros of choice for me, Debian for you, Arch Linux and or Gentoo, we wouldn't be able to give it. You know, 10 out of 10. You, you know, or even the distro that I used to be working on, I quit that distro. Even that, we still wouldn't be able to give it a 10 out of 10 on. But um, we also got a second comment that I have not pushed to the site yet because I'm too lazy to click the approve button. It will be on the site by the time you're listening to this, though. Uh, from a guy named T.S. said, Hi, I agree with Chris. Your podcast is very negative at times. Just say that something needs more work. You don't have to drone on about it being an epic fail wrapped in the layer of stupidity. Blah, blah, whatever. T.S. You're right, but we do do what the distro developers like 
in that we explain what we dislike about it. And we mostly say wrapped in a layer of fail and stuff like that, kind of for comedic purpose. It's good at getting attention. I mean, uh, uh, to use the, if you, well, bad analogy because it's sports, and I imagine not many people who listen to this podcast are big sports fans, but I bet you when Bobby you, Knight... <laughs> I bet you, you when... racist! <laughs> I bet you when Bobby Knight threw his chair across the basketball court, he got the ref's attention. I think it's time to go on a fun little ride, and it's time for... The Vista Review. Oh, boy. Out of the frying let's pan into the oven. This. Yeah, let's preface this with um, Chris and TS. If you thought we were hard on foresight, sweet Jesus. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, basically, I had a, um, a machine I was setting up for an employee at work, and... It came with Vista Home Business, or excuse me, Vista Business Professional. Hell, fuck, I can't tell. There's like 20 different versions of Vista, and the only difference between them, aside from the buried at the bottom of the box description uh, features, is one word in the fucking name. Yeah. But, but I digress. It was one of the Vista Business versions. And it was, oh, fuck, slow. It it ran as slow as SUSE's software package manager did all the fucking time. And we're not talking about, you know, a Pentium 2 with 64 megs of RAM here. We're talking about a brand new Dell Latitude with a Centrino 2 Duo and 2 gigs of RAM absolutely choking and sputtering at every turn. Because... Uh, I ran Vista back when it first came out, and I don't know if I said this on episode one or not, but Vista was actually what made me make the move to Linux full-time. It actually, for about a week, it did run faster than XP on my system. It was that slow out of the box for me. There was no reprieve. Uh. Uh, And when you first start Vista, you get... Vista gadgets. And Vista gadgets are like um are like KDE four point one widgets or are the OSX uh I forget what you call them, what scriptlets, applets, whatever. Uh yeah, widgets, dashboard dashboard widgets. Yeah, it's just like uh, that in, in, in OSX and widgets in KDE four one. Only none Except of them are fucking really useful. <laughs> and it's done really badly because you have no choice but to have them at the right edge of your screen. You can't move them around randomly. They're in the little bar on the right side of your screen. And if you don't like it, turn them off entirely. And, and that, that brings me to my next point. Turning them off entirely it takes. It took like ten minutes to figure out how to make them go all the fuck away. They don't make it very easy or obvious. There's a little widgets button down there at the bottom, and you think, "Oh, well, I'll I'll just click on that and and go to disable or something like that." No, uh-uh, you can't get to go away like that. Um, and there's if you hover over the gadget, a little X will appear in the top right. You can get rid of it. And I did that for all of them. 
but it took me like another five to ten minutes to figure out how to get rid of the fucking Google search uh, widget. And really, what the hell is the point of that? I mean, is the search bar in Firefox and Opera and IE simply not convenient enough? Yeah, I I would I would somewhat agree with you, but you know why do people on Macs, let's say, use uh, like widgets for getting movie times? Isn't it by your logic, it would be easy enough to open up Firefox or Safari or whatever? Oh no no in, no! You know, this is just a times. simple Google search box. It saves you nothing. You have to go into the browser anyway. You're saving like a double click on the desktop. That's it. This is this is true. And uh, amusingly, very amusingly, the first time I turned it on, I got a nice warning in the bottom right saying, "Multiple security problems." Well, it's Windows, no shit. Yeah. And so uh, your security I, problem is the fact that you're running Windows. <laughs> and so I did that, and I ended up having to install like I don't know forty. Vista security updates. A lot of them, by the way, the same updates you would get in XP. That should tell you something for Vista sharing code base and where the bloat's coming from. Yeah. And uh, and get this, after I installed the security updates, I had to wait as it did further processing when I shut down. And I had to wait for like five minutes. And wow. I turned it back on. And I had to wait another five minutes while it did further processing and I said oh okay well it must be done now wrong I logged in multiple security problems and I had to do this whole song and dance again and in fact after I did it the second time one more time for good measure you can't use Vista for more than oh say a half hour without stumbling into UAC a half hour, really? You give it? I'd give it about five minutes. Well, yeah, you get one as soon as you try and do a security update. So, yeah, probably, probably five minutes. I think you get one the first time you run anything on the desktop as well. So, if you try to pull yeah. up a browser, you'll get one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think you get one the first time you open the control panel too, because you know, geeks, <sighs> what do we do? The first thing we do is go to the control panel and fuck with settings. It is. Absolutely deplorable. To give you an example, it would be like using the Conqueror web browser, when Conqueror 3.x, and every time a website tried to set a cookie, it gave you an allow or deny button. And your only option was to simply, um, and, and it didn't give you a way to simply allow all or or set further settings. It just gave you an allow or deny every time you got to a website with a cookie. That's kind of like using Vista. Anytime you do anything, continue or deny. And so, of course, after after a day or so of using Vista, you get fucking fed up with the bullshit, and you just click continue, 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 which means that when you actually get a virus that's trying to infect your machine, what are you going to do? Continue, 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 continue. continue. <laughs> Thus negating all security advantages of UAC. Yeah, that's a complete design and implementation cop-out from Microsoft. Get some balls and fix the code, Redman. That's such bullshit. Yeah, I mean, the thing is they tried to copy pseudo and Linux 
or the way of asking you for your password when you need to like install something from a .pkg in uh, OSX, except they failed really horribly at it. Um, also, uh, and <laughs> amusingly, you can't even shut down Vista easily. Uh, when you go to the start menu and you click on the little power button, it hibernates. You, okay, what the fuck? So you bring it back up from hibernation and you go, okay, so where's the real shutdown button? And on the phone, bottom right, there's a little right arrow. Because when I think shutdown or restart, like it will sit, it like, and of course, after you do uh, an update, the Windows Update Manager sits in the tray like a Jack Russell fucking terrier jumping up and down, up and down, saying, hey, you need to restart, you need to restart, you need to restart. And so, of course, you have to go find how to restart. It's, it's, see, this is very fun. It's like boxing with your computer. And there's a little right arrow button, because when I think restart, I think right arrow button. And after you click the right arrow button, then you get the full listing of options like shut down and restart and hibernate. Who the oh, hell made gets, this decision? When you click that little right buttoning, you get the full menu of, you know, shut down, restart, hibernate. The shutdown, or perhaps it's restart, by default, if there are still security updates, it's, it, you know, does security updates and then shut down. And it just below it, it has a little bit, you know, a little line of hard to read text, you know, click here if you'd rather shut down without doing updates. It's like, I just want to shut the hell down. Why can't you bug me about my updates via that thing in the tray fucking later? <laughs> uh, yes, I want to know who made these user interface decisions at Redmond so I can hit them in the nuts repeatedly with a titanium-faced golf driver. Um, here's another bit of absolute bleeding-from-the-asshole pain. If you insert, if you take a external hard drive, put it in your external hard drive case, and plug it in with USB into your computer, obviously that drive has nothing on it. Nothing. It's totally pristine. And Vista doesn't even do anything. It doesn't say, hey, you plugged in the drive. Want to format it? Uh, no. It just acts like nothing happened. And apparently being able to pull up my computer and look at the drives and right-click on them and go to properties and then format or something like that. Apparently, that's too simple. So now you have to right-click on my computer in the start menu, and then you have to go to some, some other sub-menu or something like services or manage my computer. Yeah, and then after you, well, there's not even something as simple as disk management. It's you have to go to something like services or manage my computer or some lame generic bullshit, and that pulls up like a secondary control panel. It doesn't look like the normal control panel; it's something else entirely. And one of the little options you can choose is disk management. And so after you've spent these several minutes to fucking find that, probably by using Google. Uh, you you can't just click on the drive and format it. If you do, it'll just it won't do it. It doesn't give you an error. It doesn't say why. It just fucking doesn't do it. You have to specifically go out of your way to create the master boot record on the drive 
and then format it. Why the fuck are you making me do this? There's no point in that. If you see that the drive is blank, simply do it all in one shot like you have been for the last decade. Why was this done? I, I think the Vista developers hated everybody. They were just, you know, antisocial kind of assholes. And they decided, you know what? Let's be dicks and let's make this the hardest OS for anyone to use ever. And of course I had to um set up network shares and network printers on this machine. And uh, network printers is pretty much identical to XP, even looks the same. They probably haven't even touched that code. But adding a network share is a whole new ball game. There's no My Network. There's no way to sort of browse the network and see what's out there. Instead, you are given a button to click in the GUI, which, by the way, is, is very hidden. It's It's where you would expect a tab to be if when you were in... You know, my control panel, uh, there's a tab. It's like a network place or something like that. And it's in the position you would expect to be if it was like an Internet Explorer tab. It's not exactly out there and obvious. And when you click on it, it's nothing more than a GUI front end to the net use command. And for those unfamiliar with that, um, if you are using Windows XP and trying to authenticate to a Samba share on a Linux server, um and you're not logging in to that Linux server with the exact same um, username that the current user is logged in with XP and the exact same password they have in XP, you have to pull up MS-DOS and put in a command called net space use space and then the drive letter you want to mount this uh, net share as and then colon, then another space and then backslash, backslash the host name, or since Windows is more incompetent, the IP address, and then another backslash, and then the share name. And that's the only way that in Windows XP you can authenticate to a Linux Samba share using a username and password different from the one you're logged in on XP. Because after you um, press enter on in DOS on that, it'll say, logged in as guest, failed. Do you want to log in as somebody else? Well, fucking yeah, I'm, I'm in DOS, aren't I? Um, and so basically in, in Vista, they gutted all of the sort of helpful gooiness of my network places and instead just put in a GUI front end to the net use command, which is sort of a, a, a step forward if you are, say, a system administrator and you already know what all the information is on all the network shares and you don't want to go through the trouble of the username and passwords on the boxes, which I had to go through that. It's not fun. But for Joe Blow user trying to get the printer that they just right-clicked on and went to share printer, they're not going to have much fucking fun. You. And so uh, that was uh, that was about the total totality of my Vista experience. I uh, several times got up and walked away from the computer and went to using my new ThinkPad uh, with Arch while it um, did uh, security updates and other things like that. Uh, otherwise, I would have ran the risk of putting my fist through the display of that Dell because it was fucking infuriating to use. Holy shit. 
Oh, and there's one thing I want to bring up. If either your computer can't run them or you choose to turn them off because they do rape your GPU, rape your CPU, and rape your RAM, I'm talking about the error graphics here, if you can't already tell. Uh, the UI either looks arrow, which uses up all your resources, or it looks like shit. <laughs> you know. Yes, arrow, so you can scroll through blue screens, black screens, red screens, and endless yes or no uh, security warnings and eye-popping 3D. Yeah. It's it's great in theory. Like, I don't like compas. I don't like it on by default. I don't use it unless I'm, you know, showing off to somebody. This is like compas, except... Less, fewer effects, and it eats about four times the amount of RAM of Compass. It's it's Compass with one effect and ten times the overhead. All right. Yeah, that's that's excellent. I fail at Simpsons voices. Obviously, I'm not going to do that again for you pe- to you people. Um, yeah, so that's how much Vista sucks, and aren't we mostly? Glad that we all run Linux. Yes, if I had to rate out Vista, it would it would probably be like .25 average. I would just mercilessly thrash it. Wow, that's pretty bad. Yeah, but it installs cleanly. One point. The end. <laughs> yeah, installs. Everything else sucks. Uh, but on to our next topic, Linux standards. Or lack thereof. Now, or lack thereof, indeed. Anyone who's been around Linux the past couple of years knows about... It's a package in some distros. Some distros don't have it. It really depends. Um, a package called Linux Standards Base. Basically, it's supposed to say... Okay, if you want to be a standard Linux distro, you install these packages, you use you use this package manager, and you use this uh, directory structure, which in theory it's a great idea. Except the last major revision to LSB was in about 2004, before any distros used live CDs, before Firefox 1.0 came out. Very, you know, very old, very early Linux, it feels like. And also, it recommends, well, actually, the only package manager that is LSB approved is LSB, or is RPM. I'm having an off day, obviously. Uh, Is RPM. And... That's my Yeah. What was that? That's mind-numbing. Why? Just why? Yeah. As we'll probably show next week, RPM is still made of fail. Because next week we're reviewing Fedora. That, never mind. Uh, and it, it's just, why can't... I don't get why nobody has like thought up or nobody has, you know all gotten, let's say, the RPM and YUM 
and dev and app developers into a room and said, you know, hey, let's come together, make a great package manager that's got the speed of RPM, it's got the, you know, reasonably easy to use and good dependency management of Deb, and we'll have a great package manager and we won't be divided between people who love Deb and people who love RPM and, you know, people like, you know, cPanel and Plesk who only distribute RPMs because they don't see Debian-based distros as a worthy distro for their uh, tools. And probably to a lesser extent just plain lack of resources and ignorance and only so much time to get it out the door as usual. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not only package managers that have that issue. It's package managers, it's, you know, text editors. Really, the list goes on, and I just, I don't understand why no one can agree on something good. I, I would take a different approach. Instead of trying to meet a middle ground with all the distro uh, with all the distros regarding package management and let's let's be honest here for a second the Linux Foundation will be largely um, dominated by the corporate um, presences within Linux because they're the people who are funding the damn thing and that means it's going to be RPM because all the big corporates are RPM period that's that's yeah. just the way life is right now and I think the better solution would be to take one step higher and to create a new sort of liaison package manager. It, it's not a package manager in and of itself. It's well, simply, that already exists. Well, okay, in what form? Are you talking about smart? Uh, no, I'm talking about package kit. I've never heard of this. Go on. I'm surprised. Oh, yeah, you didn't get to a GUI in um, Foresight. That would be That would make sense why you have never used it. Um, basically, what it's meant to be is it's meant to be a front end to it, it. I believe it has both a command line and a GUI interface, although I've only used the GUI interface. Um, it's meant to be a fr- one front end that's the same on every distro that support, uh, it supports RPM and YUM. It supports, um, Connery in, uh, uh, in Foresight, it's supposedly it supports Deb, but the last time I tried it, the Deb support was horribly lacking to the point where it can install and it can remove, and that's all it can do. How about Pac-Man? Uh, no Pac-Man backend yet, but apparently, from what I've heard, people are working on one. But there is like I think there's a smart backend. There's a PISI backend for Pardis Linux. Uh, there's a backend for Mandriva's URMPI thingy. We forgot to come up with a funny nickname for that. Damn us. Yeah. But yes, I, that's I now that's see now that's what I would call sexy. Now that will solve so many problems. Um, just one sort of sitting on top interface that can go and interface with apt-get, go interface with Mandriva and Pac-Man and Yum and whatever the hell Susan's using this release. Uh, that, that is, that is perfect. 
then you can have people like Adobe, who, by the way, recently joined the Linux Foundation, and you know these are the people we really want supporting Linux to begin with. People like you know Skype, for instance, because what Skype does right now is they go, well, here's an RPM, fuck you, go fix it for your distro. We're not going to support all of you. We don't have the time or yep. the resources. Um, and now instead of just throwing out an RPM and saying go fix it if you don't use RPM, they can release one package and it will work with every distro. That well, no, that is awesome. That's not the way. That's not the way um, package kit works. You still, it's still devs. It's still you know RPMs. It's still whatever actual packages that uh, Mandriva uses. It's just instead of you know, having to, let's say, I'm a Debian user and I want to move to Fedora, having to learn Yum, if I know Package Kit, oh, okay. I can handle installing and removing packages easily on any distro that Package Kit supports. Okay, we're talking two different things here. You're talking about just a universal front end that doesn't do anything more. It simply calls up the program. I'm talking yeah, that's, about... that's all... Uh, I'm talking about one format um, that supports both binary and source-based that then properly interfaces with apt-get and yum and RPM and all the others so that depending on what system it's resident on, it alters the package on, on the fly and then prepares it and installs it on that distro. That's what See, I'm talking about. And that's right, that would be sexy. Like- Something like auto package. Yeah, I know there's, there's a there's a similar effort out there in smart package manager, but that doesn't aim okay. to be a universal thing. It aims to be a complete, you know, front out re- replacement. I'm wanting something that just sits one level higher that'll work on any distro, because then you can have somebody like Adobe and Skype make one package, and it'll work on any distro that supports it. And that well, now that's can't... real progress for standards. That's what auto package supposedly can do, but you know, auto package files are really hard to create, and they just they just don't work well. And if auto package, if they did something, I don't know what they could do, but if they did something to fix it and make it more like you know a normal package that's easy enough to create. You know, Adobe, Skype, they would all use it. I mean, it does. It, we don't even have to go straight to this sort of one one layer higher package manager that does everything. Even just a program that I can, as a you know third party vendor, uh, fill out my dependencies, um, fill out my version information and a description, and everything, and press a button, and then it spits out a deb, and it spits out an RPM, and it spits out a PKG build. Even that would be huge progress. Well, that you can cheat with that. Um, there's something at least on Debian called, and I think it's on um, RPM-based distros as well, but I'm not sure. Called Alien. That's designed to basically, let's say, you make a deb, you build the deb, you run Alien dash dash RPM, and then the file name of the deb. And it creates an RPM. Or, and you go, you know, alien dash dash targz, 
the name of the deb, and it creates a Slackware package that I think is backward compatible with Arch, but don't quote me on that. And what would be perfect is to just change that so it adds more formats like eBuilds and package builds and official Arch Linux packages, and you're done, you know. that All you have to do is make one package and run it through Alien for the others. And it seems to me that's, that is the sort of thing that the Linux Foundation should be working and focusing on. I, I understand that corporate interests are going to drive the thing, but come on now. And, and the decision to basically require RPM to, to be quote-unquote LSB compliant that's nothing more than you know throwing away like a half to two thirds of Linux out there and saying, "Well, fuck you, use RPM or go away." Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, also by using that, they're throwing away literally the most popular Linux distribution in history since Linux has existed, which would be Ubuntu. And the the other standards pet peeve I have, and I'm going to hammer Fedora on this just because at least when I last used Fedora, at least before I will this week for our next review, was around Fedora Core 4 or 5. And I remember it had the most ridiculous path for a config file I have ever seen. I would like to see standards for... Um, config file locations and for naming conventions of daemons and things like that. For example, if I want to start Apache in Gen 2, it's etc. slash init.d slash Apache 2. And if I want to do that in um, Arch, it's etc. slash rc.d slash and then I think just Apache, maybe HTTPD. I'm a little hazy. But anyway, yeah. and then in like in Fedora, it's like etc. slash init.d slash httpd. And that's just yeah. really annoying. And they do this shit for like all the daemons too. Like in Gen 2, it's etc. slash init.d slash mysql. And then in Arch, I know this one for a fact, it's etc. slash rc.d slash mysql.d. That shit's annoying. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll agree there. But as for your thing about the config file, the way it does it, it, it doesn't make me happy, but it's better than what you were probably thinking of. It is in Etsy. In Etsy, it's kind of like Pac-Man. There's a yum.conf, and then there's a yum.conf.d with all your repo URLs in it. Yeah, the, the the particular path I'm going to pick on on Fedora is like Fedora Core four or five back at the time. It was like um, slash etc. slash, and then it was like web, and then slash local, and then slash Apache slash httpd dot com. That may just been you know the sort of tweaked way that 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 the host I was using did it, but holy shit, was that annoying! And you could imagine the the time it took me to find the damn thing, because of yeah. course I would I because I, at the time I was fairly big noob on server stuff, and I just said okay, locate Apache, and it, of course it'll just show me the Apache folder name there. So I, I still didn't know where the config file was, and that's un, that's so annoying. 
Um, yeah, that's one of the few things that I really that I really really like about Gen two on on the server. Uh, they will modify where a package saves its config files. They will force that to put it in slash etsy, and then usually there will be a folder name that mirrors the package name or the daemon name in etsy, and then you can go in there and all the stuff is in there. Right. They, uh, I know that by default MySQL wants slash etsy slash my.cnf, and Gentoo said, no, the hell you're not. Etsy slash MySQL slash my.cnf. And I, I, I'm super anal retentive with how I organize my computer. It's just, I can't help it. You know, my room can be, you know, a three-alarm fire disaster, but by God, my computer is going to be organized just so. Yeah. And that that's just so annoying. And I don't know, and the Linux Foundation really does nothing to address naming conventions or location saving conventions. I mean, isn't isn't this what like things like uh, Linux Fest and Linux Fest Northwest? In isn't this what the entire point of them is supposed to be doing? You know, instead of like DebConf and Fedora's little convention thingy that I think they have, and you know whatever else, one big convention where all the distro people go and. You discuss, you know, making things standard because all distros are there. You know. Eh, well, yeah. Um, well, it depends on your definition of Linux Fest. At least the ones that I'm familiar with tend to be super duper community oriented. Although this this will be changing in two weeks, and I will unofficially make the announcement here because I can and I know things. Actually, oh, I know where you're going. I know where you're going, and I, I that's a good announcement, too. Yes. And uh, uh, this... Oh, go ahead. Well, I'll say it here, I guess. This is official from one of the developers who will not be named. Steam and the Source Engine, so Counter-Strike Source, Half-Life 2... Portal, Portal. yes. The cake yeah, is a I lie. Yes, I don't know too many other uh, source uh, uh, source-based games, but you all get the idea. It is coming native to Linux on September the fourteenth. I'll finally get to play Team Fortress natively. Spy sapping my century. And again, according to the developer, it is a little bit faster on Linux compared to Windows. When. Yes. And to make people a little bit more disappointed, I gotta I gotta throw this out there. Um it was the all the graphics for the games or what the source engine was actually rewritten in was SDL not native uh OpenGL, but SDL is decent I guess. Well, SDL's easier to code in and Oh, well, Iculus has yeah. done a superb job with a lot of the SDL code. Yeah. And the Steam GUI will be written in Q, is written in QT4. Hell yes. Yes, except so many distros and so many people use GNOME. It's like, damn it, why? Oh, yeah. I mean, I probably know why. I mean, I believe... 
This is just, you know, personal. I didn't get this from my developer friend. Uh, I believe that the source engine is written in C++, so it was a little bit easier to build a GUI first first team in C++ instead of, you know, having to keep the core in C++ and then write the GUI in C and then write, like, a little translate. Just, you know, not worth the extra work. Excellent. That that's that is a huge announcement. That is that's progress yes. there. Okay, um do you have any other pet peeves with standards? I think between naming conventions and the lack of a package format that can be easily translated to all distros, those are pretty much my pet peeves with standards. I know that almost all distros, even even ones like Gen two, are pretty much POSIX compliant, and if they're not, it's it's so close as to not make a difference anyway. I yeah. know that that Apple made a a big deal about masturbating that themselves when they got POSIX compliance for OSX, but you know, what do you fucking do? It's POSIX. Well, it they, doesn't make a big deal for big app developers. Well, they didn't. They didn't get. Po- or I believe it's pronounced POSIX. Uh, not important, I guess. But they did have POSIX compliance before. But now they got officially recognized by the Unix Foundation, you know, the people who were behind, like, BSD and some of the really big shit from back in the day said, basically, okay, Mac OS X is a certified Unix operating system, according to us. Posix, you are indeed correct, sir. My bad. No problem. But, uh, yeah, and what, what makes that a really bad statement is OSX is Unix certified. Linux is not. Yeah, it, it pretty much is. Uh, the only difference there is going to be that if you say the word Linux, you're referring to so damn many distros, and I'm assuredly uh, some of them aren't. But if you're, if you're developing... Well, no, you're referring to the Linux kernel, and the Linux kernel is not... Unix compliant according to the Unix group, or whoever the hell they are. Well, they can uh, they can blow me. If you if you're developing yeah, a Unix app, it's going to work in Linux. It's just going to. Yeah, and it's it's pretty much I think the fact that like no Linux developer has paid them fifty thousand dollars to say that Linux is Unix compliant because really nobody in who you know is a Linux developer or who has that kind of money who's into Linux really gives a crap. Yeah, and and for those who don't know anything about POSIX, it's a really just ridiculously simple standard. Like, uh, POSIX 1 is like process creation and control, um, errors, illegal instructions, segment uh, seg faults. POSIX B is like priority scheduling, uh, real-time capabilities, um, Shared memory, asynchronous and synchronous I.O., and the highest one, which is POSIX C, uh, 1C, is nothing more than all that with thread extensions. I mean, we're talking some primitive stuff here, stuff that any operating system that's Unix-based has had since uh, the mid-90s. And I like that uh, Windows is actually not even POSIX compliant unless you install the Microsoft Windows Services for Unix. Yeah. Actually, I 
I did not know this. FreeBSD, Linux, well, actually, all the BSDs in Linux are not fully POSIX compliant. Yeah, they're they're quote unquote mostly POSIX compliant, but that's a load of bullshit. Yeah. Besides, if you look at, <laughs> frankly, if you look at the number of people who are quote one hundred percent unquote. POSIX compliant, it reads like a graveyard of operating systems. <laughs> yeah, and, it's re- and it, it reads like, you know, companies who, you know, when they did make these operating systems, had a couple million dollars in the banks, so that might be yeah. hinting at something. AIX, Minix, OpenSolaris, uh, HPUX, IRX, yeah, basically people yeah. who are dead. <laughs> yeah. Really, the only two that, ma- or the only three that matter, rather, are OSX, Solaris, and Open Solaris, and VXWorks. Yeah. Which is surprising because apparently, according to this, my WRT54G is fully POSIX compliant. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit sad. But I think what makes Linux not POSIX compliant, although we've gotten a little bit off topic here, uh, what makes it not POSIX compliant is because the Linux kernel supports like uclibc and dietlibc, and those aren't POSIX compliant, but libc6 that is used on every distro that's not meant for embedded devices is POSIX compliant. Load so. of bullshit. <clears throat> yeah, pretty much. But uh, do you have any other... Um standardization beefs to discuss other than those that we have covered? Uh, I don't think so. So, uh, until next time, uh, if you want to uh, contact us, you can uh, get us through the usual methods. Uh, email uh, jeremy at sourcecast.org jd at sourcecast.org And uh, feel free to stop by on the forums and let us know what you think. Uh, we still have our poll up and running on whether or not you'd like to see uh, this become a video podcast. Um, we, uh, we, as just, as obviously you can tell, we're going to continue along with these 0.5 releases. And, um, as always, you can also get us in the IRC channel at, uh, irc.sourcecast.org, pound sourcecast. And we're both idling in there pretty much all the time. And so, until next time, if you want to get XORG updated, just have us come on and bitch about it, because uh, this week, Mesa 7.1 was released, and now XORG 7.4 will finally come out about a year late. So, if your software project is behind on release, give us a ring, we'll bitch about it, and you'll get an update.
to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.